Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 78, it is the 6th of April 23, and today we are thinking about how Easter means we should never give up hope. So welcome today to the podcast, everyone. Um, it's Holy Week this week, and and uh, it's, uh, well, it's Good Friday tomorrow as I'm recording this. So um, this will be a brief podcast. Um, I, and I know that those of you who are regulars on the podcast will know whenever I say it's going to be a brief podcast, you know that you're in for a longer one. Um, it's not going to be like that today. Uh, I've just got a few things that um, I want to talk about, um, but just, yeah, um, I do want to try and keep it a bit shorter uh, today. And then um, after Easter, I'll have a break next week. Then after Easter, we'll get on to uh, looking back at um, Os Guinness's book, uh, The Magna Carta of Humanity. So let's start with a few interesting things that I've seen this week, things which um, have really struck me, which um, maybe you haven't seen. First thing is, uh, I saw a picture of the... Uh, invitation to Charles's coronation service. Um, it's the the invitation for the um, to be present at the Abbey at Westminster Abbey on the sixth day of May, twenty twenty three. There we go. And um, it was just pointed out by Freddie Sayers initially, but there's a green man on the on the invitation at the bottom, very prominently, a green man. Now. The green man, uh, Freddie Sayers pointed out, it's a mystical pagan symbol of rebirth. And um, Freddie Sayers said this is a declaration of what he really intends for his reign, hiding in plain sight. And I thought, yeah, there is something in that. That I mean, I looked into the green man and it's it's quite hard to know exactly where it came from. There are carvings of a green man in uh, churches apparently although that doesn't necessarily say anything but it's certainly not in the bible you know the, the idea that this, the green man should be more prominent than the you know than the cross for example or given that charles is supposed to be the supreme governor of the church of england and to uphold the christian uh, religion then i think it's a pretty as as Freddie Sayers says, it's a pretty striking thing about what Charles intends for his reign. So, yeah, that's that seems to me to be a worrying development. But this is stuff that we've suspected for a while now, isn't it? That Charles is, I don't think Charles is a Christian. And that he doesn't intend his reign to be Christian in, in any real sense. So, yeah, um, have a look at the, the picture and see what you think. Um, the second thing is that I read an article, this was um, posted up on Twitter, but it's from The Times, and it's titled, uh, My Boyfriend Thought Choking Me Would Turn Me On. The subtitle, Porn Has Hijacked the Sex Life of Generation Z, and Choking Has Become Normalised. Three Women Reveal What Happens in Bed. Now this is the kind of thing which I've been banging on about for quite a long time, which is that when you have a generation of young people who have grown up with unfettered access to the internet to pornography on the internet especially you know we've got young people young boys especially who everything they know about sex and relationships has come initially through pornography and they have no idea what is normal what is right and how to treat women and i think i've talked before about louise perry's book the case against the sexual revolution but I really think, you know, this is this is where it, we are going. You know, the, 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 the things which are happening now, you would not believe. 
And I think perhaps that some of the uh, folks who, who grew up in a previous generation when, you know, uh, just have no idea about the depravity of some of the things that are happening now, you know, that, that there is, you know, such an unhealthy attitude towards um, sex and relationships and, and so on. This is where we are now as a society. And I think, you know, that the, the things that I'm talking about on this podcast are linked with morality, as we saw with Os Guinness. You know, the way that we... Um, so this is what, I'm, what I was talking about last week. I'm not talking about Os Guinness as an example of someone who's terrible, has terrible sexual morals. Um, but, you know, how the way that we treat each other, this is what he was saying, the way that we treat each other in our relationships is linked with, you know, the way that the government treat us. You know, if we exert dominance and... Uh, power in our own relationships then that will be you know the the way that the government kind of treats us as well so the two things are linked that was what i talked about in last week's podcast so have a look at that if you missed it um so yeah i thought it just anyway th- this article just exposed the way that things are quite strikingly in a very stark way um and the more i read about this the more worried well, i say you know I, i'm i guess i'm not worried finally but it, it does indicate how bad things are. Um, the final thing that I saw this week, which you might be interested in, uh, Norman Fenton has written on the Where Are the Numbers substack uh, how many deaths were caused by the COVID vaccines. And this is what he says, the summary of what he says. Taking account of the small proportion of people reporting serious adverse, re- adverse reactions that may have subsequently led to early deaths, there are likely to have been an additional 70,000 deaths in the USA and 35,000 in the UK indirectly caused by the vaccines. This would mean deaths caused directly or indirectly by the vaccines accounted for about half of the excess deaths in the UK since January 2021. So they are saying, um, looking into the VAERS data, the American Adverse Event Reporting System, looking into the UK's um, yellow card scheme, that uh, possibly up to about half of the excess deaths have been vaccine deaths. That's that's what they say, according to their numbers. And I think if that is true, and if that is, uh, you know, they're, they're reading the data correctly, and it, it looks to me like they are, that is pretty incredible. And, um, I mean, it's it's something which a number of, of people have been trying to say for a long time. But, um, yeah, this is... You know, why is the truth not getting out? You know, why are so few politicians, apart from people like Andrew Bridgen, who has done a sterling job, um, but is not being listened to? You know, why are so few politicians actually prepared to go down this? You know, the cowardice, the lack of actual, um, you know, standing up for the truth is really, um, yeah, is is palpable. Okay, so those are the those are the things. The links will be all down below, um, by the way. Just to let you know, by the way, if there's anything that you have to to add, uh, you want to um, comment on any of those things, you want to point out anything that will be interesting to look at in a in a future podcast, then do let me know. Comment on YouTube, um, do uh, Telegram me if you use Telegram. The link is down below, or you can email me through as well. It's at sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. So do feel free to to get in touch, and I'd love to hear from you. And thank you to everyone who has got in touch as well, as I really do appreciate that. There's also a Buy Me A Coffee link um, if you'd like to support the podcast. 
Um, and I would just like to take this moment just because, you know, authors, when they've written a book, it's, I'm sorry, this is obligatory, ob obligatory, but um, my new book, Confused by Grace, this is now available from Amazon, paperback or Kindle editions, and uh, it's explaining about the Christian life, explaining how the Christian life works, and, you know, just kind of looking at the Bible and, um, yeah, how God wants us to to obey him and serve him in the 21st century. So, yeah, um, that book is now available too. So with all that said, let's move on then to some other news. So the big news that I wanted to talk about this week, and it is personal news, it, it doesn't affect uh, anyone else uh, so much so to speak, but the big news is that um, we have decided, as in me and my wife, our family, have decided to leave our current church, to leave the Church of England and to set up something new. So what we're going to be doing is from this Sunday, we are going to be meeting just in our house, uh, in our living room to start with. And we are just going to be doing church in a, in a more intimate and, um, you know, yeah, just, just perhaps with a few, one or two other people to start with. And um, we want to focus on the, you know, kind of like the essentials of church. So I think church is, a lot of stuff is built up around church. You know, you've got the buildings, you've got the uh, the service sheets, you've got the welcomers, you've got the flower ladies, you've got the musicians. You know, there's so much stuff around church. And I wanted to to do church, and I've been wanting to do this for a long time, actually, growing, especially the last last few months. But just to focus on discipling people, you know, so that focus on the relationships, focus on the Bible, focus on teaching the faith. You know, the catechesis kind of stuff, which I've talked about elsewhere. If you don't know what that means, then um, catechesis is just a, a traditional way of learning the Christian faith. And that's what I try to do on um, Understand the Bible on my um, other sort of channel website. Um, so, th yeah, that's what we're doing. We're setting up a house church and I hope to that the church will be more like the, the New Testament model of church. You know, that's how church was, of course, in the early days of the book of Acts. There, there were no church buildings there. You know, the believers just used to meet in someone's house and they would just focus on, you know, trying to obey Christ and, and loving one another and focus on the Bible and all of those things, you know, together. Um, in a much more kind of intimate and relational way than church often is today. And I do feel like that is what we need at at the moment is, you know, the church just needs to focus back on the essentials of church rather than all of the, the different things which um, have come to surround the kind of the cruft, whatever, you know, which kind of comes to surround church, all of the trappings of it. I think we need to strip that back and just focus on what church really should be doing. And one of the interesting things I've I've thought about this is the, you know, the way that I know a lot of different uh, Christians have come to this channel from various different denominations. You know, we've had some uh, Anglicans, of course, I'm, you know, Church of England Anglican, um, but I've had other people come from um, Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church or, or whatever. And, um, you know, I think what's been interesting is that the last few years has, you know, the, the way that the secular society just seems to dominate and you know, it just seems to have brought a kind of unity which is beyond the, the unity of an institution. 
And I think maybe that's what God is doing at the moment, is actually showing that, you know, the true unity among Christians is the bond of the Holy Spirit, you know, is not an institutional unity. And as much as I love the Church of England, and I, I've heard it described as the best reformed settlement, that actually I want to be open to be united to people who actually who are united to Christ. And that, you know, at the end of the day, our unity is from the scriptures and, you know, the ecumenical creeds, which we believe, you know, we truly believe that, you know, Christ died, uh, was raised to life on the third day, ascended to heaven and, and all of those things. You know, we believe in the Holy Spirit and that actually that is where our, our unity is found, is in, you know, is in the kind of what, what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity and in you know the experience of living and walking with God day by day with the Holy Spirit uh, in order to to obey him. And so I think that's kind of what we need to to be focusing on, you know, rather than which denomination are are you that actually looking more at unity. And I'm not trying to underplay the differences, by the way. I know that um, many people have talked about the differences between Protestants and Catholics. Um, And I think those are still significant. But at the same time, you know, that if I look at the Church of England now and many Protestant churches, they have departed from the faith in some pretty serious ways even though they may be doctrinally orthodox and and this is the thing isn't it you know we want to be open to be uh, united by a real and genuine faith and submission to God um so yeah that, that's just an initial thought really I think unity has always been one of those tricky things in um in the church you know who's who is with us who is against us and who, how can we draw the bounds which include you know, what is biblical and and orthodox and so on? How can we draw the bounds of orthodoxy? And I think something which I have come to perhaps understand more is actually we need to to say it's not just an intellectual assent to a set of propositions, but it is about genuine faith in Christ and belief that God is there and that, you know, we need to walk with him. And that's something which I've I've experienced, I think, as people have come to this, this channel, that, you know, people do genuinely uh, love the Lord and want to submit to him and um, you know and, and walk with him every day not giving into a secular state so that's just an initial thought uh, let me know what you think as well um, you know I think it's unity is a tricky issue among Christians but um, I hope that there can be uh, yeah that we can have a growing unity actually in the faith um, now one thing which I have thought about is what we're going to do on on Sunday. Um, I know quite a few people have got in touch with me over the last few months and said, you know, Phil, I'd I'd love to go to church, but all of the churches around here are woke and, you know, preach stuff which is, um, you know, not right. And I don't know what to do. And I think that what is happening to us is potentially an opportunity. And I have been thinking about creating materials which could be used by a house church so you know rather than going to a church which is woke just you know meeting in your your own living room or whatever venue you have available um, getting some other christians together people who are on board and using these materials to have a service on your own because that's all that church is you know the church of england 39 articles describes church as a community a communion of faithful men where the gospel is truly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, you know, the uh, baptism and Holy Communion. 
Um, so it, it doesn't talk anything about bishops or about um, any of those other things. It's just about whether the gospel is present, whether the sacraments are present. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, I thought that's, um, that's sort of bringing it down to the essentials, if you like. So if anyone is in that situation of wanting to go to church but not having a church to go to who you know local and would be interested in in those materials please do let me know i'm still thinking through what it might look like but at the moment i'm kind of thinking just making a little kind of crib sheet for for a service you know just saying this is what you could you know uh, maybe some suggestions of songs that you could have some suggestions of um you know prayers that you could include maybe doing a video so I'm, I, I want to do a little video of a bit of um, catechesis, as I was talking about, and a, like a short sermon. So basically making a package that you could use at home to hold a service and you could use as much of it or as little of it as you want. But just, you know, ensuring that there is something in there which is biblical and edifying and that you could use to get together with other Christians. So if that is um, would be of interest to you, then let me know. And I, I, that will probably be something which I will publish on Understand the Bible, as I think it's more suited to understand the Bible rather than uh, sacred musings. Um, yeah, so that's that's the thought. OK, well, I come on to a, a little um, thought from... Well, it's, it's a thought from the Bible, but it's a, sort of more of a thought about Easter. And there's a, a lovely quote which I wanted to begin with, from uh, G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton, um, he was a, a Catholic uh, Christian at the, um, I think he was around at the turn of the last century, um, the early early 20th century. And I think he had what I would call wisdom. Um, he had what I would call wisdom in that I, I think he saw a lot of the problems in society and he, uh, I think, spoke you know, um, words of uh, God's wisdom into that um, a lot of the time. Certainly, I haven't read much of, of his actual works, but a lot of the, you know, his popular quotes and things that I have read, you know, he was very on the money. There's a quote here from his book, The Everlasting Man. And uh, this was published in 1925, so nearly 100 years ago. And this is a, a sort of an extended quote, but I think it's so good that I'm just going to read it all. So this is, this is um, from now on, this is Chesterton. I have said that Asia and the ancient world had an air of being too old to die. Christendom has had the very opposite fate. Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. But the first extraordinary fact which marks this history is this, that Europe has been turned upside down over and over again, and that at the end of each of these revolutions, the same religion has again been found on top. The faith is always converting the age, not as an old religion, but as a new religion. This truth is hidden from many by a convention that is too little noticed. Curiously enough, it is a convention of the sort which those who ignore it claim especially to detect and denounce. They are always telling us that priests and ceremonies are not religion and that religious organisation can be a hollow sham. But they hardly realise how true it is. It is so true that three or four times at least in the history of Christendom the whole souls seem to have gone out of Christianity 
and almost every man in his heart expected its end. This fact is only masked in medieval and other times by that very official religion which such critics pride themselves on seeing through. Christianity remained the official religion of a Renaissance prince or the official religion of an 18th century bishop, just as an ancient mythology remained the official religion of Julius Caesar, or the Arian creed long remained the official religion of Julian the Apostate. Uh, the Apostate. But there was a difference between the cases of Julius and of Julian, because the church had begun its strange career. There was no reason why men like Julius should not worship gods like Jupiter forever in public and laugh at them forever in private. But when Julian treated Christianity as dead, he found it had come to life again. Now, I think this is such a wonderful and insightful quote that uh, God, it said uh, Christianity had died many times and risen again. It had a God who knew the way out of the grave. And I think that is so true that, you know, at Easter time, we remember the death of Christ on Good Friday. Then on Easter Sunday, the glorious resurrection and um, how Christ overcame and defeated death. And as Chesterton points out, that you know, in Christianity we follow a God who knows the way out of a grave. You know, we we may think Christianity has died a death, but it hasn't, because God is the one who can bring resurrection. And and especially at Easter time, you know, we need to not be be mournful or not go around moping, because God knows the way out of the grave. I think the other point that he makes, though, and I think this is a really good point, is that. You know, that if you compare, um, these people say, well, you know, religions can be hollow and sham. And I think that he, you know, he makes the point that the religion of Julius uh, was hollow and a sham. You know, he said he might worship a god like Jupiter forever in public and laugh at him in private. It was a sham. And I thought about the, the woke religions which are going round at the moment, you know, the cult of woke and of net zero and climate change and of... Um, you know that all of the oh, the other stuff which is going on at the moment and you think about how that's religion but it's empty religion you know people pay lip service to it but people are longing for something which actually gives them life and that you know Christianity as he says when it when it comes when it comes alive it comes back it's almost like new you know that actually it's it's fresh it's new that people discover that it has life and power in it and I thought, what a wonderful message for Easter that at the end of the day, you know, Christianity, as Christians, we follow a God who knows the way out of the grave. And that those other, the other woke religions, whatever they may be, going around at the moment, do not. They are empty and a sham and people will recognise that. And they will be exposed for what they are because there is no life in them. Um, I was thinking, actually, that made me think of uh, some verses from the book of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter one. I just wanted to to finish with um, a uh, some verses about Easter. But this uh, these verses here, it's not they're not verses which would typically be read on Easter Sunday. But nonetheless, I think that they are very very appropriate. This is a vision of Christ from uh, John's vision in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter one, verses twelve to eighteen. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, 
dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive for ever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's, this is the vision of Jesus. This is the vision of the one that we come to worship, especially at Easter time. He is the one who was dead, but is now alive forever and ever. He has defeated everything which stands against at the end of the day. Anything that stands against him, sin and evil, they may be fighting and thrashing around at the moment, but they are defeated. Jesus Christ is the one who, his face shines like the sun in all its brilliance. You know, his mouth was sharp, double-edged sword and so on. You know, that he is the one who will defeat this evil that we are facing. And we can trust him, you know, because of Easter, because he was dead, but is alive forever and ever. He is the one who holds the keys of death and Hades and who has defeated evil. So we can trust him and look to him. And, and if we're feeling depressed about all of the stuff going on in the world, what we need is a bigger vision of Jesus. And we need to ask God to give us a bigger vision of Jesus. So I wanted to finish with that and I hope that that's an encouragement at Easter especially. Now I like to finish with a prayer and I thought that today it would be appropriate to finish with the Church of England collects for Good Friday which I think are very appropriate and I'm going to use the traditional language because well I mean I'm a bit of a sucker for the language of the Book of Common Prayer this it says um one of the prayers talks about Jews, Turks, infidels, and heretics, and um, that by Turks it's sort of talking about Muslims, um, and uh, and I think that is you know it's a good thing to be praying as well at the moment given what we've what we've um, heard about Justin Welby and iftar meals and everything it's so much nonsense going on, but actually to pray for conversion of souls you know that's what we need to be doing and asking for asking God for. So let's pray. There's three prayers here and um, we'll pray uh, these, uh, these collects. Almighty God, we beseech thee graciously to behold this thy family, for which our Lord Jesus Christ was contented to be betrayed and given up into the hands of wicked men and to suffer death upon the cross, who now liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of the church is governed and sanctified, receive our supplications and prayers, which we offer before thee for all estates of men in thy holy church, that every member of the same, in his vocation and ministry, may truly and godly serve thee, through our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. O merciful God, who has made all men 
and hatest nothing that thou hast made, nor wouldest the death of a sinner, but rather that he should be converted and live. Have mercy upon all Jews, Turks, infidels and heretics, and take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of thy word, and so fetch them home, blessed Lord, to thy flock, that they may be saved among the remnant of the true Israelites, and be made one fold under one shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. And may the Lord give us a greater vision of Christ this Easter time. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining me, everyone. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I look forward to seeing you. I will be away next week, so we'll have a gap in the podcast, but uh, I'll be back, um, uh, God willing, the week after. So I hope that you have a wonderful Easter time and a wonderful Easter week, whatever you're doing. And I look forward to seeing you again next time. Um, don't forget, um, uh, if you're on the audio podcast, if you could leave me a rating, maybe a review as well, if you've got time, that would just really help other people to find the podcast. Um, I really would appreciate that. But uh, thanks so much, everyone. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. In the meantime, God bless.